This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. I'm delighted this afternoon to have Daniel Tallmore. He's a seasoned entrepreneur co-founder and CEO of Lumen, a company developing consumer nutrition management platforms based on a small device that measures metabolism in a single breath and provides personalized food, lifestyle, and health recommendations. And for full disclosure, we're doing a whole biohacking month for everyday wellness. And last week was Melanie Avalon. And this week we have Daniel. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. And thank you for carving time out of your evening because it's nighttime where you are. Yes, it's, it is. And thank you, Cynthia, for having me. I'm used to speaking at this hour because my <laughs> audience is also in the States. So it's, um, it's totally fine. Fair enough. So you know, how did you and your spouse come up with the idea of creating a device that would be able to give consumers a sense of how metabolically flexible they are or are not? Because for anyone that's listening, and I'm hoping that you'll touch on this, for people that are listening that are not privy to some of the measures of how we expand fats and carbohydrates in our bodies, up until this point, it's my understanding, this has been something largely left to labs and, you know, being in a scientific environment. So having a device that you can actually have in your home, like I've had since November has been really, really exciting. So I'd love to hear the story. Okay, sure. So first I would say it's not just me and my spouse that came up with this concept. It's actually my spouse and her twin sister. And it wasn't a struck of lightning that we said, oh, metabolic flexibility, that would be amazing for people to master and understand. It was an evolution of a pain point we both felt at a certain point in our lives. So I was at a position, I was, I'm a startup entrepreneur. I'm a founder of built companies. This is my third one. And I've been fortunate to do that with uh, two co-founders that have been with me for the past 16 years. We sold the company uh, we failed the company. We sold the other one. And then, and I was about, I think, 20 pounds overweight from my own kind of startup journey, startup experience. And I wanted to take control over my body, kind of understand how can I feel successful in things uh, in my business, but in my health and my wellness, I'm kind of poor. And so I was fascinated about this concept. And my spouse, Michal, and her twin sister, Mirab, were looking for a career change. So they were Ironman competitors, PhD in physiology, uh, in, cardiac, in the space of cardiac arrhythmia. And both of them were extremely fascinated about nutrition their whole life. So they went to study nutrition. And having that knowledge of and deep understanding of the, how the physiology works, after a first year of nutritional studies, they realized that nutritionists don't have, or people don't have any tools to really understand what's going on. So there is no data. And when there is no data, the research is also pretty poor. And it's also hard to get to people to comply because they don't know if what they do is actually working and they don't have the means or the feedback loop to, uh, to get hooked on something. And that was the basic promise. Um, they identified the concept of, wow, you can measure metabolism, but it's over, super expensive. Devices, as you said, that exist in lab. 
And they came out with this concept of what if we can make it smaller? What if we can put it in the hands of people? It was an evening. We drank some wine together and we brainstormed about this and we drank more and more wine. And somehow this became a realization. I became fascinated about this concept and I had a phenomenal teacher, two teachers actually. And uh, somehow I managed to bring along Bo and Avi, my other co-founders from previous companies. And we started building this and uh, it was 2014 when we just initiated this uh, concept. Well, I think it's a really invaluable tool. You know, there's a lot of what I would call biohacking devices that are out there, but this is one that is simple and one that is really invaluable in terms of information just for me personally, but I know for many of my patients and clients as well. So let's talk about what specifically Lumen actually measures, because I'm sure that's what people are most interested in. What does it actually measure? What does it tell me? Sure. So basically it's a breathalyzer, right? And by analyzing the CO2 content of your breath, um, we can actually identify the fuel source that your body is burning now. So we all know we're burning calories, but the interesting question, or maybe the paradigm shift that Lumen is offering is where are those calories coming from? So are you burning fats or are you burning carbs? And those different fuels can actually you know, provide for different functions. If I'm 40 now and, and I want to perform at a workout, I probably need carbs uh, within that workout to perform at my best. And if I want to lose weight, I need to be more flexible or more, let's say, fat adapt to some extent, and uh, my body should be comfortable at burning fats. And so the, the different fuels actually represent different motivation, different moments in time in your day. And we're building a journey to kind of present that and help people get to their goals, fat loss, weight loss, muscle gain, and metabolic health as a high level concept that we're, we're nurturing now. I think it's really important to emphasize that we want to be able to use both types of fuels. And I think for many in the intermittent fasting space, you know, we want to be fat adapted, which is different than solely using fat for fuel or solely using carbohydrates for fuel. We know one is much more efficient than the other. And I would love for you to kind of touch on what are some of the benefits of, you know, being in a space where you're using fat as your primary fuel source versus carbohydrates, and then really emphasizing the fact that we want our bodies to be very, you know, I, I hate to overuse the word flexible, but we want to have this ability to move back and forth. We want it to be very fluid. We don't want it to be rigid. Right. I will maybe take this from a different angle. Once we were out there and with the device out, we, we started getting approaches from a lot of scientists actually that are researching things from longevity to uh, fasting to uh, the impact of workouts on metabolism. And by this type of engagement, we also learn a lot. And one of the interesting uh, concepts we came to realize is that probably one of the age, one of the problems on one of the, let's say, processes that happens to our cells during aging is the loss of flexibility. So our ability, our cells' ability to adapt to changing uh, environment, and food is a changing environment, or lack of food is a changing environment. So that inability to adapt, and you see that also in, in diabetes, right? And that inability to adapt is what happens in aging. And you can control that. Like this is a lack of metabolic flexibility, in a sense, is 
lack of muscle mass. And it ties into a lot of processes that happens with aging. So as we see these types of concepts, we, we understand that having that ability to shift between mm-hmm. carbs and fat is the major uh, impact. For people, the benefits of being comfortable on fat and, and using fats when carbs are not, are not available is also a measurement of efficiency. You want to be doing that at nighttime, right? At fasting. So that ability, in a way, it's something you can train, but you can't train it to the extent that you avoid something completely. And this is the problem because that adaptability comes in a pro- with a price. So people who go on very strict keto for extremely long times will also experience that lack of adaptiveness to some extent. And that is a problem as of itself. So what Lumen offers in a way is understanding that flexibility and shifting your fuel, shifting your food intake from fats to carbs and, and back. And it pushes your body to use both and it shows you basically how efficiently are you doing that. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, when we're talking about aging and, you know, the senescence that goes on, we're really talking about the mitochondria. So the powerhouses of our cells, and we recognize how critically important it is that we keep them as youthful or buoyant or flexible as possible as we get older. And fasting is one way, you know, doing certain types of exercise, eating a particular way. And I love that you brought up the point about rigidity. So there are some people who exist in very dogmatic spaces and nutrition. And, you know, I think keto is, you know, if people are eating a more traditional keto lifestyle, not the keto that's junkified with a lot of processed foods, but cycling in and out of ketosis and so not keeping yourself so low carb all the time that it's really important that we knock ourselves out of ketosis where we're you know, completely fat adapted and it's important kind of biomarker to hit, but also equally important. And, and one of the things that I've noticed about Lumen is if I'm, you know, uh, and I know that we'll talk more about this, but there's a scale that you get every day as you blow into your Lumen in the morning. And if I have too many days where I'm too low, one of the recommendations that will come up is have more carbohydrates to bump yourself out of ketosis. And so it's this delicate kind of interplay that's really important. We don't want to be rigid. There's very little about the human body that really requires us to be rigid. And I like that, you know, Lumen's recommendations, oftentimes I'll have, you know, clients that will text me like, oh my God, they want me to have 200 grams of carbs a day. And I said, well, it doesn't mean you have to have 200 grams. It's just encouraging you to have more. (laughs) So, you know, kind of looking at it as a recommendation, a guide, a suggestion with which to work from. Definitely. And the moment you understand that it's all about fuel management, a lot of the stress and the rigidness of diets that you basically take, you know, from a book or online, they are meant to be shareable and simple and defined with five rules of do this and don't eat that. And this is the way diets were basically born and grow in a viral manner in the world. And it's hard to sell balance in a way, right? It's not something like we all know that if we eat a balanced life, we could in a balanced diet, but what is balance? And in a sense, balance is, there is no balance. Like if you think about us in terms of evolution, we don't live in a times of balance. Uh, we live in fasting and we live in times that we can, and we probably can eat a bit more. And our ability to, to di- dynamically you know, wake up after fasting on fat burn, that's a skill. That's a skill we can learn. That's a skill we can teach our body. And it might require us to stop eating at a certain point in time in the evening. And it might require that your last 
dinner, your last meal would be uh, a bit lighter. But that's a skill. And once you train the body into that, it's comfortable. And even if you eat a bit more carbs, and this is what's interesting that we see, even if you eat a bit more carbs now in your day, once your body has mastered that, it's more easily and more efficient to have even more carbs in your day. And you will not gain weight and you will still wake up on fat burn. And that's a revelation that now with a lot of data, about million measurements a month that we see on Lumen, we can start seeing those, uh, how the trend looks like and how when people comply and work with the plan, they actually, it's uh, reversible in a way, or it's trainable. Well, and I think there, it's been an interesting last year plus for everyone in the world with this global pandemic and people that are probably being, are probably in many ways being able to be a little bit more rigid about, you know, maybe they're eating earlier, maybe they're getting carbs in earlier in their diet, because we know that we become more functionally insulin resistant as the day goes on. Maybe they're ending their, you know, feeding window at five o'clock in the afternoon instead of seven or eight o'clock at night. And I still get a lot of pushback when I encourage people. I'm like, I sit down and have dinner with my family every night. I may have already closed my feeding window, but I will do it because I don't feel comfortable eating at seven or eight o'clock at night. I know plenty of people do. I'm not one of them. I like to make sure my feeding window is shut down at least three or four hours before bed. So let's talk a little bit about the device itself. So we know it's this indirect measure of calories and this ratio of carbon dioxide how does carbon dioxide play in with our breath and how does the lumen device actually differentiate between when we're in a ratio where we're burning more carbs or burning more fats? How does that all work? Sure. So to measure metabolism, basically there are two ways to do that. One of them is to look at the blood itself and it changes, right? The blood itself is a very an invasive way. The other way is to look at the exhaust of fat metabolism and carb metabolism. Now to look at carb metabolism or basically to look at metabolism, you would want to see, I'll explain it in a different manner. So when our body processes carbs, the chemistry is that you have more CO2 in your blood cells. So the exhaust of carb metabolism is actually more CO2 molecules in your bloodstream. Those CO2 molecules will need to eliminate themselves from the body in a way, and that will happen through the breath. And that process is basically measurable through the breath. And the gold standard to measure metabolism would look at CO2, O2, and the flow uh, that you're breathing. But it will require a mask, an expensive device, and about 40 minutes of continuously breathing, something that no one will ever do to drive nutritional decisions, right? And what we've done in Lumen is basically we, we created a different method, a correlating method, just by looking at CO2 content in your breath. But because the, the measurement or the measurement flow is a different one, because you inhale a certain volume of air, we keep that the constant one through the app. And because you hold the air in your lungs for 10 seconds and then you exhale, that holding time elevates the signal for us. So it elevates the CO2. So when we see a lot of CO2 in your breath, in the content of your breath, we can understand that your body is now fueling from carbs, basically. And lack of CO2 will indicate that your body is probably using fats. Other types of measurements, other types of devices will look at acetone. And acetone is an interesting biomarker as well. But the problem with acetone is that it, it rises only once you're deep, kind of as a feedback loop, it's a poor, it's a poor product because it's, you need to be very deep into ketosis to see that it's rising. 
And weight loss happens way before that. It's, acetone is a byproduct of deep fat metabolism. You can burn free fatty acids way before you will see acetone. And acetone will not be an exhaust. So you can technically burn fats without seeing acetone. So this is the lumen method in a way. We look at CO2 content and lack of CO2 as a fat burn. And I think one of the things that's really kind of enlightening for many people is the net impact of dietary choices on what their values are the following day. Now, here in the United States, we just celebrate, many people, including myself, just celebrated Easter. And I knew when I did my first reading on Monday morning, I knew for sure that I had probably kicked myself out of ketosis because I allowed myself to have dessert, which I don't typically do. And what I found is that for me, when I have when I say processed carbs, not my normal carbs, not sweet potato, but if I choose to have a dessert, it will linger for a day or two. So my values will shift. My lumen values will shift. I'm burning fat and carbs for two or three days, largely because, and I'm assuming, and you can corroborate this, you know, if we are taking in a lot more carbohydrates than we normally do, we are you know, kind of buoying up all of our glycogen stores, which is stored sugar, predominantly liver, skeletal muscle, and it's going to take a little bit of time. Like I went to the gym and lifted heavy yesterday. And today I did hit training because I was like, I'm going to shake these loose so that I can get back to where I normally am when I wake up in the morning. Do you find that to be the case that depending on people's dietary indiscretions, they can actually see these changes almost in real time? For sure. And sometimes it's lagging, as you say, mm-hmm. and that lag could be because your body is so fat adapted because of the habits that you've built that it will take some time for, for your body to shift to carbs in a way. So yes, definitely. And that was the goal in a sense that we created Lumen for, uh, to provide as a feedback loop. So you will see, so when I'm eating carbs, I will see it immediately the next day. There is no question about it. I can predict it. And I wake up in the morning and I'm, I know that it's going to be uh, four or three levels that are indicating more of a carb in the morning. So it's really, it really varies. And yes, definitely that's the case. Glycogen, as you said, is one of the key regulators for that. Your ability to use carbs, the enzymes, literally the enzymes that you have in your body that are responsible for processing carbs and their, uh, let's say, readiness is also something that could cause that lag, for example. That what happens for people, for example, that's completely avoid carbs, not even yams and not even you know, sweet potatoes or anything. They just take a lot of meat and a lot of fats, and that would also uh, prevent them from being able to process carbs because of the, those enzymes that are eventually uh, disappearing because they're not needed. So there is a lot of training to do in that uh, matter, but to answer your question, it uh, it's definitely could be the case. Well, and it's interesting because I'm starting, I actually now have been wearing a continuous glucose monitor. So overlapping the lumen, overlapping the intermittent fasting, overlapping the you know cycling ketosis that I do, I've been wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And for me, it's been very interesting to see everything being very nicely aligned. In fact, I have a blog post I owe my listeners for like, I've owed them that for several months and it eventually will be coming. But for me, the one thing that was most interesting was to see, because I have been low carb, not necessarily ketogenic for such a long period of time, this degree of physiologic, so it's not the pathological kind of insulin resistance, but 
my body really doesn't know what to do if I do a big carb load. Like I did a day with a lot of potatoes and, and I was instructed to do this just to kind of see what I responded to. And there were two things that came up that I was surprised by. Number one, my body does not like plantains. It shot my blood sugar way over. I mean, wow. it was over 150, which never happens. And the fact that tropical fruits, which I find fascinating. So like the things I'd normally tell women not to eat, papaya, mango, banana, those I can eat. I don't know why I can eat those and I can eat copious amounts and my blood sugar does just fine. But that's the bio-individuality piece to each one of us. But for anyone that's been low carb for a long period of time, you know, you may need to really be conscientious about bumping yourself out of ketosis and really, you know, doing some of the strategies I've been doing to kind of see where those numbers go. Because to your point, if you lose the ability to break down those specific types of carbohydrates, then it explains why you develop this kind of physiologic insulin resistance, which is very different than the, you know, pathologic form of insulin resistance. Right. So let's definitely touch on, you know, what can impact these values beyond carbohydrate intake, beyond sure. having a dietary indiscretion. Like I know that one of the things that's been updated in the app just since I've been using it is kind of integrating a woman's menstrual cycle. And so what are some of the changes that your team is seeing when women are getting close to their period? I mean, I'm upfront and very outspoken about telling women the week before your period, you should not be fasting and you should not be going super low carb. That's the time we have a little more insulin sensitivity and your body needs a little bit more food. So what is your team finding in that area? Well, first we, we exactly that in, in a sense. So first what we realize is that this too, right? Understanding that you should eat uh, differently based on your cycle is also a new understanding because it doesn't comply with any diet, right? It doesn't comply with the rules of five things to do. And that adds a certain complexity, but it also simplifies and removes so much stress from what should I do today? And it really puts you in tune with your body. And I'm talking so passionately about that, not because I'm experiencing this myself, but because my spouse who... You know, it lives and breathes this product as well. I've seen how she is changing based on, on her own recommendation, her own understanding of uh, eating according to menstrual cycle. So there are definitely points in time that your body is experiencing stress. And that stress and, that's, and the changes in hormones are affecting uh, levels of basically your ability to burn fats. And so you should not even try to resist that in, in a sense. And what we've seen, and, and it started that feature of looking at your menstrual cycle basically came from our users. So customers who were reporting that female customers reporting, they're doing everything by the book and they wake up on a level four or on a level five and they can't understand it. And over time, we started interviewing them and asking them specific questions and, and realized that there is a common denominator here, which is this, that specific phase of the cycle. So it does have an impact and it does change what you should be eating. But more importantly, maybe your ability to let go and say, this is what my body needs at this time. I shouldn't go overboard, but I shouldn't stress myself against that. So the behavioral aspect, which I see as as important as the physiology. It's not just what's right for you, it's how we put you in a position to, to feel in control that you know, and then you make decisions and you don't go against that. And that's, uh, I think, is a huge benefit that ties into how should I 
manage their nutrition, right? So that's, um, I'm totally with you on that. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armour Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armour's Colostrum strengthens immunity ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced. And it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to try 
com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Well, and I think one of the things that's so beautiful, and obviously I did all my medical training over 20 years ago, is that we understand a whole lot more about how women should eat and how they should exercise and how this impacts not only their metabolism, but just the way they view the world. And so I think that in many ways, this device can be very validating to say to someone, okay, if you're blowing fours and fives and nothing else has changed, except that it's the week before your period, let it go. Like we're conditioned to be so controlling all the time and yet mother nature or our own physiology is designed to allow for these fluctuations, even if we don't want them to. I'm starting to actually see quite a bit of rhetoric on social media that there are women who, women athletes that are happy to not get their periods. And I like to remind anyone that's listening that not getting a period in the absence of being pregnant is not a healthy thing for a cycling woman. And so really embracing our physiology and what makes us unique is so, so important. I can't agree more. So my spouse, actually, Michal and her twin sister, when they were training for their Ironman competition, before they knew that was about 10, 15 years ago, before they knew all, all that, they stopped getting their uh, cycle, basically, and uh, they were okay with that. But that was lack of knowledge. And today, they would never, they would never go in, in that flow of mind of thinking, okay, that's fine. It's just, it's happened. I'm doing sports. It's great for me. So, and that's also brings me to stress, right? That's the second thing that impacts uh, the, the measurement, which is also very interesting. And I like to compare this metric of metabolism to um, heart rate variability to some extent, because it's not only that high is good and low is bad, it tells a bigger story about our body and it's a complex metric. And also our metric is a bit more complex. So lack of sleep and stress could get your body to use carbs which is, again, not because your glycogen stores are depleted. It's just because it's a stress response of the, of the body in a way. So you could be doing everything right, but your body is resisting fat burn because it's still in a fight or flight mode. And it could be overstress. And sometimes when we say stress, we think that we know, right? Because it's a word that we put in our... But a lot of the time, we realize that we don't know. And that stress could be um, an increased amount of coffee or caffeine in your day. That could also be stress. And stress could be the fact that you're waking up because you have a toddler two years old and he's waking up at night. That's also stress. So these are things that we don't think about, but are definitely stressing over our body. And you would see that in the metric as well. So there are, yeah. Sorry, no, I was going to say, I think that's really important. I was in one of the forums for Lumen a few days ago, and one of the women was saying, you know, I noticed if I change my breathing pattern before I do a measurement, I will get a lower number. And I said, well, that makes complete sense because if you're meditating or doing box breathing and you push yourself out of being predominantly sympathetic response and you're pushing yourself into this parasympathetic rest and repose side, it makes complete sense. And we talk a lot about hormones on the podcast and, you know, you think about cortisol and norepinephrine and, you know, that stress response, and it doesn't have to be, you're being chased by a rabid animal, much to your point about all these 
life related things, you know, just the concerns about, you know, I'm not sure how things are where you are, but, you know, here in my part of the United States, we're still wearing masks and there's still, you know, a lot of restrictions on what people can do. So just the stress of the last year can also impact those values. And we've seen that. So we've seen two trends. One is that people at the beginning, and let's say within curfews at the beginning, the stress was evident in a lot of the things we, we, in a lot of the measurement we see. But on the other hand, we see also a trend of people cooking at home and really owning their schedule to some extent. And in a weird manner, it created balance for a lot of people because it's now, they don't necessarily depend and it's not a social food ordering at work. It's, they take care of grocery, they buy, they cook. And those skills, in a way, are also uh, important, right? If you choose what you buy, the, the groceries that you buy, that's also will eventually help you create those habits because you will make, over time, you will make better choices, No, and I agree with you a hundredfold. It's been an interesting social experiment over the last year. We tend to be the kind of family that cooks most of our own meals. And we went on vacation for the first time in 16 months. We went to Charleston, South Carolina, which is a coastal town on the East Coast. And, you know, even we did a big Airbnb, everyone had plenty of space. We did eat out more than we have in a very, very long time. And what was interesting was between the continuous glucose monitor and my lumen, I could tell when I was exposed to ingredients that I don't normally get at home. And that was very telling, but I do agree that the balance that many of us find really elusive in our normal day-to-day existence has really shifted given the fact we aren't able to have as much freedom and flexibility as we are normally accustomed to. And certainly traveling is part of that, which is my segue into, I'm going to guess that if you shift you know, time zones significantly, I mean, more than an hour or two, but I think each time, even every hour difference from where your baseline is makes a difference. I would imagine that would show up in the lumen. That's my guess. That's, that's true, but I don't have enough data to show it <laughs> because uh, our massive audience really started using lumen in COVID. Mm-hmm. So we haven't seen those time zone shifts, but from uh, N equals one, I can say that I've been using a certain version of Lumen since 2015. And I can say that it's a huge impact. And there is a lot to be done around that, around fasting and flights and around switching to eating according to the time zone that you're going to expect it to get to. So you gradually train your body to signal what is daytime, what is nighttime, what your circadian rhythm is about to become. And that makes a huge impact. So for me, it's always uh, when I used to fly, and now we fly a lot less, but it was always an opportunity to reset, actually. Mm-hmm. I took advantage of this concept of, yes, it's a shift in time, but it's also a shift in every habit I have. So I can make my own decisions now. And yes, you will see that. So your circadian rhythm basically wants your body to wake up on fat burn, right? And you will see if people changing time zones uh, significantly in Israel to, to New York or Israel to LA is a significant time zone shift. And you would see that different behavior of your metabolism for a couple of days until it gets sorted. Do you find that it's easier to fly east or west? And the reason why I'm asking is that anytime I fly east, like if I were to go to in a prior time, in a prior world, I would go to Europe or Africa or wherever very easy for me to get onto the east of the United States time schedule. But when I fly west, 
I struggle. I mean, it is pathetic. In fact, I get teased mercilessly by members in my mastermind group whenever we're in California for this reason. It's like, I feel like I, the only way to can describe it is it's the degree of fatigue I experienced when I was a new parent, which was a long time ago, but it's the same feeling of just can't get it together. I agree. And from Israel, we used to have, we didn't, used to not have a direct flight to San Francisco and we had an LA one, but so it was a huge change. For me, East Coast is like, uh, it's almost nothing. I found my habits. I found my routine into that. And it's easy. I will jump on a plane for a day and, and even get back sometimes if it's necessary. Yes, I agree. West Coast is a thing. Flying from Europe to West Coast is, a, let's say, a harder struggle, but also manageable. I think food on flights and your ability to manage that or not manage that and find your own rhythm. At some point, we've all been sold a big, fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high-quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi-Optimizers. Masszymes is a full-spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Is a critical aspect. 
Now, did you find when you were doing those long haul flights that you would go from fat burning to carbohydrate burning primarily? Yeah, for for sure. Definitely in the morning time. Once I started fasting in flight and then switching to eating, actually, because that fasting in flights completely got me to a point that I'm uh, stressed because of the long fast and the shift in in, uh, time. (laughs) Once I started fasting at the beginning and then eating based on the next meal I'm going to have, I should expect to have. That actually uh, made a huge difference. Also on my sleep. So these are some hacks that using the Lumen device and looking at, you know, looking at my own feelings and, uh, and my tiredness and my, uh, my energy levels. Yeah, it's interesting because you can learn and you can find your own thing, your own routine or your own habit that is, uh, works for you. Absolutely. Now, there was a hotbed of questions surrounding exercise and food. And so the exercise questions were things like, I wake up and I'm a one or two, I go to exercise. Now this makes sense to me, but it required a little bit of like this educational piece, not understanding why several hours later, if they exercise that they're suddenly burning carbs. And I said, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but perhaps explaining the physiology behind it from someone other than myself, because then it'll provide some validation for some of the discussions I have in my private groups. Sure. So Depending on the type of exercise that you're doing, your body should prioritize carbs because carbs not only as a fight or flight fuel for they really, you know, it's they are stored in your glycogen stores. And glycogen exists mainly in the muscle. So they are the the carbs are stored as glycogen for immediate release into the muscle. So once you force like once you train in let's say a heat exercise or a weightlifting you should expect your body to make that shift to use carbs. So if you measure after a workout, it's definitely possible and reasonable for the body, if you measure immediately after a workout, it's definitely possible that your body will be in in carb burn. And it's okay. And it's actually good because it means that your body is making that shift. If you take a bit longer after the workout and you still fast and you don't take anything, not a protein shake or anything else, you should expect to see that drop, right? It will not be a carb burn. It should be the depletion of your carb stores, of your glycogen stores, should push your body back into a fat burn. And there is a caveat to that as well, right? Because you start your day, you start stress, you start creating, you know, you start moving and your body will will have different demands. Maybe it's not the workout demand, but if you're not rested and you continue to be in, a, in movement and really depends on your type of lifestyle, you could continue and still be on a carbon level on an average carbon three. So that would be the physiology around that. So some people will experience drop to fat burn. Some people will experience rise to carbon. And it really depends on the position you put your body before, right? Did you have carbs in your glycogen stores before or you didn't? And it also depends on your metabolism which is personal. And this is something we learn with you guys with our customers. Another hot topic. And, and this comes up frequently. People are saying, you know, normally I'm a two or a three, but then I do these extended fasts and I'm a four or five. And so they get frustrated because they want to be able to push that fat burn. And they're confused as to why with a prolonged fast and a prolonged fast, I would define as greater than 24 hours. They're wondering why that's going on. And and so it's almost like with any hormetic stress in the body, 
you know, people assume a little bit is good. So therefore a lot is going to be great. And trying to explain that that might have been a little too much stress and a little too much hormetic stress. But what has been your experiencing with that, with prolonged fasting and watching, you know, values climb? To be honest, it's exactly how you frame it. It's a matter, it's a skill. You need to get your body adopt to uh, fat adapt to those prolonged fasts. So fasting is everything. Like it's not the more you do it, the better. It's not efficient. There is a, a level of stress that you don't want to put your body in. And especially if you are not actively training and doing that periodical. So people who decide I'll do a fast uh, like in, uh, once in six months and I'll get into it. Their body is not fat up to the level it will be comfortable for the body to rely on fats for all your energy requirements. So what will happen, and we see that, is that you will experience a stress response, which will put your body into fight or flight mode, which will put your body into using the remaining carbs from your glycogen stores. Okay? I know people think, but I don't have carbs in my body, but we do. <laughs> We do have glycogen stores. We don't deplete them completely because we need them. It takes about three days of no carving and no carbs at all to really deplete them. And yes, it will happen that uh, you will experience. That should probably signal that you should have stopped an hour or two hours before. And I would test that out. That's great. I mean, that's exactly what I needed you to say to answer that question. The other question that came in is how do we know what type of fat is being used? And I'm sure you probably get asked this question quite a bit. And I'm sure that your answer is going to be what I anticipate it will be if we're looking at dietary fat consumption versus body fat, you know, fat oxidation. Is there any way to differentiate with the lumen or is it just fat, you know, fat burning is fat burning? It's a great question. So morning time, it's fasting. So it really depends on the context. And again, this is why this understanding when you measure is important. So morning time, it's fasting, assuming that you are postprandial. So you're after, I think, at least six hours of food, way like after fasting, it's way more than postprandial, but you don't have any more dietary fats available. All of them have already been stored basically as fat cells. So morning time, there is no question or fasting time, there is no question what are you burning. This is fats from fat stores of your body. Or, and that the, the only caveat to that, if you're drinking MCT or you're actually bringing in exogenous ketones to some extent. So if you bring in different types of dietary fat, which is extreme, we will not know. Okay, that's, uh, that's the truth. Beyond that, when you're eating and measuring, yes, it could be dietary fat, it could be fat stores. So we cannot differentiate. It doesn't appear different. So the metabolism doesn't see dietary fat differently as from eventually it uses that as a, as a building block for fat, right? So maybe that's my answer to that, right? It's uh, you, we don't know. The context can help us understand what's going on. I think it's important, especially for women, as I'm kind of in the midst of writing a book and looking at research and talking about how women don't metabolize fat as well as a general rule as men. And so if you're a woman and you're doing keto or you're, you know, eating copious amounts of fat, you want to primarily burn the fat in your body first, especially if you have a lot of weight to lose. So I always encourage people just be mindful of portions because it's very, very easy to overdo it with avocado and cheese and nuts and things like that. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Now, the last kind of paradigm I want to touch on is 
food priority. And I know you probably, again, get asked this question a lot, but I was asked quite a bit. And so when we're looking at macros, whether it's protein, fat, carbs, or I don't know where else to put alcohol, but I'll just use it as a separate identifier, you know, in the body, how is that prioritized in terms of what do we burn first? Do you have any tricks? That was one of the questions I got. Do you have any tricks if you're going to have alcohol? When's the best time of the day to consume it? I said, that's an interesting question. I'll make sure I ask that one. <laughs> but what are your strategies when you're looking at, you know, putting together meals or how best to strategize for people that are looking for primarily body composition? These are people that are maybe not necessarily insulin resistant, but they're really wanting to improve their metabolic flexibility. I'll start with food, like with macro priority prioritization on, with the body. So in a sense, a healthy body should prioritize carbs for energy over everything. I'm not over alcohol. I'll touch it in, over that in a second, but over any food because it's available. Creating energy from carbs is easier for the body. So that's a smart move for a healthy body to take when you take carbs in and you eat them, to use them immediately for fuel. And this is why we should expect to see that shift if we eat carbs or purely carbs, we should expect to see that shift uh, towards carbs. Now, because what we're eating is always complex and we can eat carbs with fats, then the absorption of those carbs also kicks in. And it could prevent you when you're eating pizza, for example, which is carbs, but it's also fats. You could see a slower response in the lumen device, but your body will use the carbs healthy body, again, will use the carbs and take the fats, use some of them and store them, store some of them probably for later use. Proteins should not really come to play in terms of metabolism. Proteins are mainly used for building muscles and for anabolic processes in our body, which are happening all the time. So yes, we can, the body knows to take proteins and use them as neoglucogenesis, basically as getting them to transition into glucose but we don't want that phenomenon to really happen. Uh, it really happens when people are on a ketogenic diet and eating too many, like too much meat and overconsumption of meat will eventually turn that meat into carbs. Our body has that ability. So even if you think that you're on a keto diet, but your consumption of meat is extreme, then your body is using sugars. Your body is you taking that protein and turning that into sugars. And this is a position we don't really want to be in. Fat is the reserve fuel, right? So it will be used mainly when, you do, when nothing else is available. I wouldn't say nothing, when carbs are not available. So our body should transition to fat. Proteins should come last because they are not meant to be metabolized as an energy source. They're a building block. Alcohol is a different uh, animal because the body identifies alcohol as poison. And so, and alcohol is metabolized in the liver. So one of the things you will see in lumen when you drink alcohol, you'll see actually a drop to fat burn because alcohol metabolism looks very similar to fat burn metabolism. So that could be confusing to people who try this and measure. So the good news is that your body had prioritized metabolizing the alcohol. The bad news is that it's not fat. It just looks like fat burn, but it's actually alcohol metabolism happening in the liver. The other bad news is that when your body is metabolizing alcohol, it's really not metabolizing fats because those two processes are happening in the liver and the liver will prioritize the poison over energy. So the hack maybe to uh, deal with alcohol is try to, well, first I can't say, you know, this is my hack, but 
I can't, this is not a scientific uh, aspect. People should avoid probably alcohol in general, but it's part of life. We know we will not avoid it completely. And so it's moderation and trying to separate that from meals, basically. This is what I, I do. When you eat with alcohol, if your goal is to lose weight, so you should probably try to eat actually fats in a way and not have that and allow the absorption of the alcohol to be uh, slower to some extent, to allow the body to uh, metabolize alcohol a bit slower and not have those carbs uh, with the alcohol that will spike metabolism. So that's my hack. Now I don't that... know if my, uh, my science thing will approve everything that I uh, <laughs> now. No, but it makes sense. And I think for a lot of people that are trying to become more metabolically flexible or trying to lose weight, it's surprising to know slash hear that alcohol in many ways can derail good efforts that people are making. Now, I want to be super respectful of your time, especially because it's the evening in Tel Aviv, but I would love for you to share with listeners how to connect with you. Obviously, we're going to put in the show notes my code that they can use to get a discount on the Lumen, but what's the easiest and best way to connect with you and your team on social media or on your website? So there is a community on Facebook, which is currently, I think now it's being open to people who don't necessarily own a Lumen device. So you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on uh, Instagram uh, and on our website. It's www.lumen.me. So we're there. We're very responsive in social media, very responsive on Facebook, very responsive in general. Uh, you can chat with us even on our website uh, with questions. And we that customer service, that engagement, the fact that we can talk about what we do, about what we don't know yet, about the research that we're going through, and about this uh, invention of the metric. That's part of our values. It's we're open about what we know, and when we discover something new, or when we discover we were wrong, we will share that. And that's uh, the process of being on the edge of science in a way where science just got to, but never extended beyond. And we, I think, we're there, and it's a super exciting place to be in. Uh, something that inspires the team here. Well, I'm so delighted that we were finally able to coordinate our calendars and connect. I am going to make Lumen part of my biohacking blog post that is, you know, slowly being written because in many, many ways, I feel like it has been really critically important for me to identify my thyroid medicine journey and to be able to provide additional information that I was able to share with my healthcare provider team. And that was really important to me to validate that they believed in what I was sharing with them largely because I had data to be able to share with them as well. 100%. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. 
It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. 